Again, thank you for being here. We're going to continue our look at the book of Peter, the first letter of Peter. And uh, I think it's a, a very appropriate passage today of how to live in the world. How do we live in this world, a world that's filled with uh, sorrow and sin and brokenness and death? And at the same time, it's filled with life and living and beauty and glory. How do we live in the world and not get caught up in the evil of the world? And that's what Peter is going to start addressing in this part of his letter, the first letter of Peter. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd invite you to turn them to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read uh, verses 11 through 25. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you're welcome to use uh, the passages printed in your bulletin, so you can take that out and you can use that. Now, hear God's word, starting at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you may see, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of His visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors sent by Him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you suffer, for if when your sin, you suffer for your sin, you are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to the One who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to God. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. How do we live in the world and not get caught up in the evil of the world? I think this is a question that people have asked uh, as Christians from time immemorial, going back to the beginning of the church and probably even before that to the time of Israel. How do we live in this world and not get caught up in the evils of the world? And this is where Peter is now going to take us. 
He's introduced this long series all the way through the middle of chapter 2 on who we are in Christ, the new birth. What does that mean that you are now born again into a living hope? What does it mean to us? How are we going to live in a world where we're surrounded uh, by evil? And, uh, you know, we seem to think that there's more evil today than ever, and that's simply not true. Uh, The only reason there might be more evil is because there's more of us. That's the only reason. There's more people. But people have always been evil, and the world has always been a very sorrowful and evil place. And so the people of God have always had to decide, how are we going to live? How are we going to live in this world? And we've tried everything from asceticism. Asceticism is where these guys would say, you know, I'm going to get completely away from the world. I'm going to go live out in a cave in the desert. Or I'm going to climb up a flagpole and I'm going to live on the top of the flagpole. Or I'm going to go, you know, somewhere. I'm going to go cloister myself and live completely separate from the world and not look, not see, not hear anything that's around me. That's asceticism. Or the church has gone all the way to Christendom. Christendom was when the church completely embraced the culture and and almost became indistinguishable from culture. The church had complete power. The Pope was the ruler of the Western world in Rome. He was the king. And everybody, uh, it was was an attempt at theocracy of world rule, world domination through raw power and and, uh, financial and cultural pressures. By the church. And we've failed miserably at both of those extremes and everything in between. And it's time, I think, that especially in our age here today in the 21st century, that we need to be very aware as the people of God how to not walk in the middle, because if you walk in the middle, you will fail as well. Everything's been tried between the two extremes. But to live in line with what the Apostle Paul called the gospel. Live in line with the gospel. In other words, line your life up with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself had something else in mind besides asceticism or Christendom. He said this, don't ask, he prayed to his father, he says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I don't want you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil. In fact, some translations say keep them from the evil one because the devil is out there uh, like a lion, Peter will go on to say, who is attempting to steal and kill and destroy. He's like a roaring lion. Okay? They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. This is what Jesus is saying. You're going to have to live in the world, but you can't be of the world. It's going to be tense. It's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. Peter's going to help us. Paul said this, don't associate with any of the sexually immoral people. He was talking about this this guy that had uh, married his mother-in-law or something like that, some crazy thing, and the church did not discipline this man. And so he's saying, "Don't, don't associate with the immoral people. And then he goes on to qualify. Listen carefully, this will help some of you. I'm not meaning at all the sexually immoral of this world. He's saying, otherwise you'd have to be taken out of the world. He's saying, I'm not telling you don't associate with those bad people over there that are not part of the world. I'm telling you, look inside your church. And if you see somebody that's evil and living in an evil way and not being uh, circumspect about their lives before Christ, don't associate with them. Isn't that interesting? We think that we've got to stay away from the bad people. And the room here is full of bad people. I mean, look at you. All right, come on. 
if, if we really knew ourselves, we would know. I mean, if we were honest with ourselves, we would know. If we were honest with one another, we would know. Where we've got to start is in the household of God, not out there. Otherwise, he would have to take us out of the world because the world's filled with evil. And so that's not what he's talking about. Peter's going to instruct us for the next few chapters, how do you live in and for the world? In and for the world. Yet, listen carefully, avoid its corrosive power and its influence. How do we do that? So we'll do it. let's go quickly. Uh, we're first going to look uh, at, at an overview. We're going to do flyover. So we're going to go up high, look down, altitude, look at the big picture. Then we're going to get down in the weeds for a few minutes, look at three things. He's going to talk about three things in particular. How you live in civil society, how you live in the workplace, and marriages. Now, we're not going to address marriages today because that takes a whole sermon in and of itself because it's so difficult sometimes. But we will look at uh, the first two today, how you live in civil society in the workplace. Do you see how Peter's kind of capturing everything? He's not going to talk about specific every tiny little detail. He's going to give us principles for living in civil society, principles for living in a workplace, and then principles for living in a home and a family and a relationship, primarily in marriage. Although in every one of those arenas, the, the tendrils, if you will, go out into many other areas of our lives. Not just specifically about marriage, it's about any close relationship. It's not just about civil society, it's about being a member of a church. It's not just about uh, uh, the, the workplace, it's about your work in general, how you're to work and how you're to view work. So let's look first of all at the flyover. These verses 11 and 12 are a transition. He's changing from what we call the indicative, telling you who you are. Now he's going to start instructing us on what to do. He's told us who you are. You're in Christ. You're a new creature. You have been born again. You have a new nature. You've been born into a living hope. The resurrection is the terminus of your life, not the grave. The resurrection. And when you lose someone like we lost my uncle this week, and my uncle was an extraordinary man. He's one of those people, it's not just another death. He was one of those people that held all of the threads of many, many people's lives together, not just his own family, but I mean the, the threads of Bill's life went out into places many of us don't even know. And when you lose someone like that, you see the, the poverty of what death creates. It, it creates a vacuum. It sucks life out. And Peter is telling you and I, there is no vacuum. You have been born again to a living hope. The, the end is not that vacuum. Although you feel it, we will feel it, and you will feel it when you lose a loved one. We know what that's like. It feels like you've been socked in the stomach. You can't get your head around it. But Peter is saying, no, you have a living hope, a resurrected hope. There is something out there that will bear the weight of our sorrows. Jesus himself will wipe away our tears. That's immense and important because otherwise you can't live in this world. Our bodies fail us. Our minds fail us. Doctors and technology fail us. At the end, folks, the only one that does not fail you, the only one that's there for you when you close your eyes in death 
is Him. He catches you, takes you up out of that bed, out of that death. You never see the inside of a grave. You go straight into His presence. Why? Because He went in the grave for you. Your body, yes, goes in the grave, but not you. You put your hope in Him. This is what Peter is telling us. This is who we are now. Now that you're that, go and do these things. You see, the power comes from who you are. So look at verse 11. He says, as sojourners and exiles. He's making it very clear that this life is not all there is. Do you realize that we're in a culture today not unlike the culture that he was in? The culture that Peter was in said this life is all there is. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Jesus came into this world and said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Jesus acknowledged that himself. And he said, but if you believe in me, you'll never die. So the eating and the drinking and the being merry doesn't have to be the end-all and the be-all of itself. It doesn't have to be, pardon me, it doesn't have to be the goal of life. Peter is saying, look at your life as a sojourner, as an exile. Not that this is not our home. I think that's wrong because this is our home. And after we die, we're going to go to heaven for a while, but then we're coming back where? Where are we coming, folks? We're coming back to the earth. The kingdom of God, the city of the New Jerusalem is coming here. We're not going there. We go there for a short time, but then we come back here. This is our home. The resurrection says this is our home. And so as we go through this life, both in and for the world, we want to see ourselves as sojourners and exiles. In other words, we are to have a posture that there is more than just this. Do you see that? There's more than just here and now. So when you look down at a dead body, or you look down at a sick child, or you look down at an empty bank account, or you look down at your, your, uh, 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 your lost job, or whatever it is, or a broken relay, you look down into a broken marriage, you look down, you see there's more than that. I can, I can reach up. The anchor of my soul is not that. It's something else. It's the resurrection. And Peter says, as sojourners and eggnog, there's impermanence to life. That's the posture we're to take. He says, abstain. Abstain does not mean don't touch. It says, keep your distance from it. In other words, he's telling you, there are things in this world, hello, you've got to stay away from. You just, you just avoid them. You run away. You back away. You make, create some distance. How that happens is the ways are endless. But if you need help with that, we can help you. But we all have to create distance with the things that are going to bring us down, the things that are going to combat that sojourn and that exile posture, things that are going to hold us too tightly. Keep your distance then from these passions of the flesh, this old habituated life. You know, we all struggle with what, what does it mean to be new in Christ? Well, what it means is that your old nature, what happens to your old nature, class? Remember theology? Where's my theology student? What happens to your old nature, class? What? It's dead. You were crucified with Christ. The old nature is dead. So you do not, listen, you do not have two natures. There are not two wolves in you that you, whichever one you feed, 
Uh, that's the one that's going to grow. That's a lie. That's a heresy. It's outrageously wrong. You have one new nature, and that nature loves and adores God. And when the temptations of the world come, when these things come, the, way that it, the, the word that they use in Greek is very in- interesting. It says they not only impede you, but they assail you. What does that sound like to you? Sounds to me like these things from the world impeding us and assailing us are coming from where? The outside. Now, because we, we've been living a life maybe of sin our whole lives, or, you know, we're habituated to sin, that's what the flesh is. It's that old habitual nature that you, this is how I normally do things. I act this way. And who doesn't struggle with that? I don't know anyone that doesn't. We all struggle with that old, habituated nature. But that nature is dead. It is what we call, in theology, we call it powerless. It has no power. The Apostle Paul said, let sin not have dominion over you. He's saying it's possible to fight. In fact, the very power to fight comes from the resurrection. Not your willpower. I mean, how many times, folks, have I told you, willpower will not work. Works for some people. But at the end of the day, you must rely on a power other than your willpower. You have to rely on Christ's power. Uh, The glory of God in you, the hope of glory is Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. And Peter is pushing us right That way, he says, these things wage war against our soul. Look at verse 11. They wage war against our soul. They're impeding us, they're holding us back, and they're assailing us, coming at us. And so we have to keep our distance. So he says, do this. Then he says, keep your conduct, he's talking about your behavior, in line with the gospel among the Gentiles. He's saying, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. And I know all of you now, I, I am firmly convinced that there's no, nobody in this church that does that. That was funny, folks, in case you didn't know. Of course we all do that. We all talk the talk and don't walk the walk. I mean, come on. But what Peter's saying is, don't do that. Stop doing that. And walk in line with the gospel. And what that means is, folks, that you as Christians are going to be the, the best repenters in the room. When it comes to sin, you're going to be quick to repent, quick to admit your faults, quick to look around and, and see others better than yourself. There's going to be a posture of true humility, not fake humility, but true humility. I am I'm truly, I, I, I need you. If I don't have Jesus, I can't breathe. You're going to be the best repenter in the room. You're going to take your sin deadly serious. Your conduct is going to be important to you because it affects everybody around. It doesn't mean just being a good person. It means being a good repenter. It means that when you do sin, when you do fail, you're quick to go to the people you've hurt and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Please forgive me. You're quick to admit your faults. You're quick to run to Jesus. That's what a Christian is. And then, 
You're quick to believe the gospel. Jesus did this for me. He lived for me. He died for me. I am a new creature. I have a new life. I can move forward. I don't have to be stuck in this sin. I can go forward. And then embracing new obedience. So you look around and you say, what can I do to please my Lord? And you know what pleases Him? Repentance and faith. To be a true repenter, to be truly faithful, to be truly obedient, to follow Him with all your heart, even if it means confessing more of your sin and more of your sin. Not just being without it, but being honest with yourself. This pleases our Lord. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds. In other words, they're going to see that your, that your walk and your talk match. They're going to say, you know, I don't really like this Christian. This Christian is not that appealing to me. But you know what? This person's a person of their word. They're honest about their sin. They're honest about themselves. They sacrifice their good for me. They don't worry about getting their rights. I have my rights and you better stay off my rights. No, they're willing to give up their rights. If I want them to go with me one mile, they'll go two. If I slap them on the cheek, they turn the other one also. Does that sound familiar? Now, oh, these people are amazing. I, can't, you know, I don't like them. I hate them. I hate their guts. But boy, they're really cool. You know, I kind of like to be around them. I don't know why. I can trust them. How many of you have ever gone to a Christian who has some business or something? Maybe I shouldn't ask that question. And you're sorry you ever went to them. Sorry that you ever recommended them to your friends. You know, I have this Christian friend. He's a carpenter. And the next thing you know, you know, their house is laying in shambles. Peter's saying, don't do that. What's wrong with you? Keep your conduct in line with the gospel. Think about what you're doing. Most of us folks, if you're like me, we live our lives kind of on automatic. We're, we're kind of like, uh, we, we, re, we react. We're not proactive. We're not thinking proactively. We just react to things. And he's saying, you know, be proactive. Think about what you're doing. Keep your conduct in line uh, with the gospel. So when they speak evil, they see your good deeds. In other words, that's the way That's the way to deal with people so that they are attracted to you. That's what winsomeness means. It's mean, gosh, these Christians, they keep their word. If they don't fix my car, if my car isn't fixed by this Christian mechanic right, then I'm I, I, he'll he'll do it for free. Okay. So the, these are the things that Peter is saying to them from up here. Then he goes down into uh, the weeds. And let's look at these real quickly. Civil society. This is verse 13 through 16. He's going to talk about being subject. Listen to what he says. For the Lord's sake to every human institution. Every human institution. This is what I've been trying to say to you throughout this very tumultuous political year. You know, whoever's elected, whether it's a party you want or a party you don't want. I, I win, I voted, I have my particular uh, desires for, and I have a right to vote, thankfully, at least now, still, I have a right that may go away someday. But my life does not turn on which party is in power, right? I mean, it just, just, just uh, doesn't. Am I disappointed? Yes. If I don't get what I want, who's not disappointed? Am I the only one? When you don't get what you want, aren't you disappointed? Next week, come back for the sermon on lying. 
Come on. I mean, we all want what we want, right? And you don't get what you want. You know, we complain. We gripe and complain. That's fine. You know, in America, we got the right to, to, to complain for a while. Someday you may not have that right. So why? Why bore your entire barrier? Ask the world around you, politics and on and on and on, money and power and approval of people. Why in the world would you want to build your foundation of your life on that shifting sand every two years they elect, every four years they elect, and every six years they elect? Who wants to do that? Everybody say amen if you want to do that. You see what I mean? We don't want to put all our hopes in that basket. Go out, be civic, be, do, do what, this is what he's saying. Be involved. Respect your politicians. Respect your institutions. I've put them in place for you. But don't put your whole life's weight on it. It can't bear the weight. It'll be like putting your hand on a, on a sharp stick. You know, it'll just go straight through your hand. It will pierce you. And that's what he's saying. For God's sake, for the Lord's sake, be subject to them, but don't put your whole life on it. Because I've put these institutions in place. Now, if we weren't in it, we, we all believe that that's true for America, but what about for communist Korea? What's going on there? Did God put those things in place? Well, he says he does. Now, why? I don't know, and neither do you. Should we fight against evil institutions? Everybody say yes. Yes, of course. We fight against evil institutions. Injustice, no matter where it is, even if it's in a democracy. doesn't matter. You see, he's telling you, be uh, the people of the kingdom of God in and for the world, regardless of what's going on in that world. Because you might live... Peter's, Peter's asking you to pray. Right here he's saying, I want you to pray for... Uh, be subject to uh, uh, Caesar Nero. Did you think about that? I want you to be subject to Caesar Nero. Okay. You all know what I'm talking about. This is a whole different kind of thinking, folks. Living in a civil society where our actions and attitudes, listen carefully, our actions and attitudes towards that civil society reflect in some part our attitude and actions towards God Himself. Because He's saying, I'm the one who put you where you are. Thank God He put us in Texas, right? What if we weren't in Texas? What if we were in the Ukraine or somewhere else? What if we were in Bosnia or Croatia? Could we thank Him then? Yes. I would say we must. And especially those of us that live in in a land of milk and honey. We should be ever, ever so grateful and ever so humble and ever so sensitive to people that live in these horrific parts of the world that we can't even, it's so horrible and so abstract, you can't even get your head around it. So the Apostle Paul said, as much as possible, as much as it lies within your power, listen, as much as it depends on you, 
as much as it's in your breath, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourself. Leave vengeance to God because He said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You see, if you believe that God is a God of justice, that He will make all things right, you won't be stamping your foot like a petulant child saying, I want my rights, I want my rights. You'll be willing to give way. You'll be willing to live in a completely different plane than most of it. And it affects our marriages and it affects so many other things. We'll talk about that next week. Live as people who are free, Paul says in verse, or Peter says in, in 16. Live like free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't take advantage of the grace of God and live like the world just because you live in grace. No. Live free so that sin does not have dominion over you. It's absolutely glorious. And then he talks about the workplace. And, and let, me, let me finish with, with this because I don't want to go too long. Uh, but he talks about the workplace. And you know, I spent uh, 20 years in a business. I owned a business. I spent 20 years in that business. I don't think there was a week in those 20 years that I didn't work at least 80 hours in that week. And uh, I owned my own business, and I had a bunch of employees. They made me crazy. My clients made me crazy. I made me crazy. But I took that business and I sac- like an altar, and I sacrificed my family on the altar of that business. And to this day, we still pay the, uh, the, the, the taxes on that investment I made. It's not worth it. And Peter is telling us, listen, look at your workplace. Be subject to your masters. In other words, when you go to work, be respectful. Not just to the ones that treat you good, but the ones that treat you bad. Because there's more to life. Peter is simply saying, there's way more to life than just work. I spent more time at my workplace than I did with my family. And even if you're working a normal 40-hour week in America, you're spending more time at work than with your family. It is immensely important that it does not become your identity. That it doesn't become who you are. Which happens especially, ladies, listen, to men. Men, we get attached to our work, right guys? I mean, we get attached to it to the point where it becomes who we are. So if we're successful in business, then we're successful. And if we're a failure in business, then we fail at everything. We're no good at anything. Our identity is tied to it. Same thing happens with you ladies, but guys don't understand what's going on with you anyway, so I won't attempt to understand that. But We cannot let the workplace rule us. So as, as if we have good bosses or bad bosses, we are supposed to be walking, listen, in line with the gospel, in and for the world, for the good boss, for the bad boss, for the, for the wonderful work, for the bad work. We're to give all everything in because our treasures are where? Where is your treasure? It's in heaven with Jesus. That, he's got it. So down here, you cannot lose. Things can go this way, that way, sideways, underneath. And you can stay steady. You can have an anchor for your soul. And this is what is so glorious about our Savior. Is that He gives us that anchor. Because He went up, down, sideways, and down to the bottom of the pit. 
You know, in AA and Alcoholics Anonymous, they would tell they tell us that you have to hit rock bottom. Any of you? Don't no, don't show a show of hands. <laughs> if you've been in AA, you know what I'm talking about. You've been in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. You have to hit rock bottom before you finally come to your senses. You know what I tell people and what I've told myself for years? I've never hit rock bottom. I've gone down there. I've looked at it. I know what's down there. You know what I see when I hit rock bottom? When I go and I look all the way to the bottom? I see Jesus. That's why I never hit rock bottom. Because he went to rock bottom for me. He went all the way for me and he went all the way for you. And so when you're in your workplace and you're in your home and you're in struggles and your life's upside down, he's there with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. It's counterintuitive, folks, for us to do these things. But Peter's telling us there's real power in that. There is hope in that. And so finally, we've, we've gone fly over, we've gotten down into the weeds, and he gets up in your business, and I'll, we'll go over this some more next week. Uh, he gets into the real nitty-gritties about workplace and, and civil society and, and uh, the marriage, our, our marriages. But uh, finally, he takes a look at the cross, and that's what verse 21 uh, through 25 is. And, and we can't spend a lot of time on that, I'm sorry, but, but let, me just, let me just tell you this. He gives us what he calls an example. Now, he's not saying, I'm going to set Jesus up here and all of you be like him. Because that would crush you, right? If you say, okay, here's Jesus, look at him. Now everybody go be like him. Oh, good luck with that. That's what John Calvin said. Good luck with that. What is it, Jeff? Rick told me I should give up my stand-up comedy routine. Was he right? Was Rick right? I'm asking you because I trust you. I'm not sure about Rick. Okay. <laughs> I should give up my stand-up comment. Okay, forget about it. Look, he's not an example that you just follow him and do everything he did because he did things you and I will never do. But here's what Peter, he uses an interesting word. It's very rare in the New Testament. You hardly ever see it in Greek literature. It's an extremely rare word. And this word means a writing copy. Do you all remember the notebooks? I don't know if they do this anymore in school. You all have to help me. But when I was a kid, and it wasn't that long ago because I'm very young, but we had these notebooks. And you know, at the top, on the top, they had the letters, right, in perfect writing. Do you all remember those? Do they still use those? No? It's all on computer now? Yeah. Our, ki our kids don't know how to write now. That's it. Right, kids? Y'all know how to write? All right. That's not going over well either. Okay, let's move on. Okay, look. They, they, they give you these tablets, and the tablets had these big letters, either print or cursive. And then underneath was a blank line. And what were you supposed to do? You, you were supposed to copy. Look here, write here. A, B, or if it's cursive, you know, and you had to have the little tails and everything. And, and you know, depending on how good your eye-hand hand coordination was, you got an award for uh, handwriting. Now they give you an award for just showing up and taking out your pencil. They don't care if you write. Just See? Oh, there, I got some, some attention there. Okay, so, so get, you get the idea. He's giving us a writing example. It's something to look at, not just to follow, 
but to trace your life around. Does that make sense? You'll never make an A as nice as he made the A. But it gives you something to trace your life around. And he tells you, look, he suffered. He didn't revile. He didn't do these things. You do that too. You may not do it as well as he did. In fact, I promise you, you won't do it as well as he did. But that's how you're to trace your life. In other words, you don't seek vengeance. You don't try to retaliate. You don't demand your rights. In fact, there's going to be lots of times where you're to give up your rights for the benefit of others. But that's not where he ends. Peter goes one step further and he makes sure that the example, the writing example that he's giving you, that tracing of your life has a context. And the context for that is something that you and I could never do. And even to this day, many of us have a hard time understanding it. He himself, look at verse 23, this is where he takes us. He himself bore our sins on, in his body on the tri- a tree that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness by his wounds we have been healed he's not talking about physical healing that's the least of his thinking right now he's talking about putting a broken life back together all the shreds and shards of broken life fitting and knitting them back together so that you can be a whole person instead of being fractured and broken By his wounds you're healed. He says it. You were straying like sheep. You know, the sheep are all over the hills and hither, thither, and yon. And he goes and he gathers us up to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you see that, folks? This is the Savior we have. Not someone that just comes to you and says, be like me. But someone who says, build your life around me. Trace the lines of your life around me. And because I'll do this for you, I'll bear your sins. I'll bear your reproach. I'll gather you up. I will not let you be a lost sheep. I will come and get you and gather you together. You can do it. You see, you can actually take the pencil and begin to trace the lines of your life. So the end of your life is not the grave. It's this life. A beautiful world that we are living in and for. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. We thank you that Jesus himself bore our sins on the tree that we might be healed, our broken lives put back together so that wherever we live and work and play in our lives, our, our interaction with the society around us, our marriages, our workplace, that each one of those can be whole and strong and filled with joy And that our actions can be redemptive. That we can bring people to Jesus Christ through sacrifice and through service and through walking in line with the gospel. Please, Holy Father, help us to do it, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.